Welcome to my gay playlist and stories from outside the closet. My name is Liv Lombardi and I am your host. This is a podcast about coming out and the music that inspires our journeys. To me, coming out is an act of honesty. It's something that we do every day when we decide to live our lives as authentically as possible. I think you can be on any part of the LGBTQ spectrum and come out. You could be straight and come out. As long as at some point in your life you decide you want to live authentically and that goes against the grain. Where are my dreamers at? Where are my freaks and geeks and weirdos and losers and nerds? If you were ever told you don't have a place here, I'm saying this table is set for you. So take a seat and tell me about it. And we'll start with this. What are your stories and what are your songs? If you want to follow along and listen to each guest's particular gay playlist as you stream our episodes, head over to mygayplaylist.com. There you'll find each episode's corresponding song list. Until then, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome to My Gay Playlist. My name is Liv Lombardi and I am your host. I am grateful for your ears and your hearts and your attention to be joining us for our show. It's been an awesome journey so far, and I am thrilled to have another week of stories and songs to present to you all. And uh, we're going to kick it off right now with my guest this week. I am here with Laz Letcher. They are a uh, wonderfully talented and accomplished musician, PhD student still, or are you teaching? Are you- Both. PhD Both. student and teaching. Yeah. PhD student, advocate lecturer what else do you do you do so many things i just got a puppy so i'm a proud dog parent too now what else do i do i work at an lgbt center and i am on i'm a co-chair of the board of chords which is a music camp for queer and trans youth it stands for queer oriented radical days of summer wow that's awesome and where is that based out of it's based out of north carolina um, and it's targeted especially for queer and trans Southern youth. Um, I cry a lot. I just kind of like play a goose acoustic guitar and weep at trans babies. Um, it's a good time. It's a camp. It's a like yeah. a sleepaway camp. Yeah, it's That's a sleepaway amazing. camp. We'll be digital again this year, but it's still just it's some magic stuff. Like I would do Jesus camp every summer, and to now be like a camp counselor for a queer trans music camp, it's just it's great for the kids, but and it's deeply healing for me. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. Yeah. You know, what's funny is like, I really enjoy chatting with people on this show because even if like they're a musician or they're like a audio engineer, chances are they're also doing three to 17 other really amazing, powerful things. <laughs> um, and so I, I think that just speaks to our community and like how, how strong and multifaceted Ooh, we can be. Good word. Yeah. Every queer artist is like a quadruple threat in some arena. Like, I run a soup kitchen and a llama rescue, and I'm also touring with Ani DeFranco. Like, that's- yeah. <laughs> All right, so um, let's let's get into it. I I am really excited to talk about another playlist and and get into the the meat and bones of your heart a little bit more by means of your musical selection. But before we start, just a little recap. You're a academic advocate, 
musician living on Tiwa land in New Mexico. Before all of that, you grew up in Indiana. Uh, when did you when did you leave Indiana and how long were you there? I was in Indiana for like a decade, two different parts, uh, Valpo and then the boonies outside of West Lafayette. And that's where my parents still live and where my mama still teaches. And then I went to college up in Minnesota. I went to music school. It's like, where can I go that is colder and whiter than Indiana? And I was like, <laughs> I know, Minnesota. And... I was part of a touring symphony when I was in university, which was incredible. Got to go all over the country, got to travel through China. And my last year, we went to the Southwest for tour, and I just, like, fell head over heels. Mm. I was like, this place is, I feel like I'm on Mars. This place is so beautiful. I, like, love everything about it. So I... Were you specifically uh, in New Mexico, northern New Mexico? Yeah, yeah. We were in New Mexico, and it was my first time as an I think I came through as a kid, but I don't remember it. So it was my first time as an adult, and I was just like, this is where it's at. And I um, I knew I was going to grad school. I'm a McNair scholar, so I knew that that was my next step. And I was like, well, let me see what the University of New Mexico has. And the program I'm currently in was at the top of the list, American Studies, and I clicked on it. It was like, feminism, anarchy, race and ethnic studies. I was like, oh, well, uh, let me just go ahead and send in my application. Decision made. Yeah, super easy. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Just a reminder here, if you're streaming our episode and would love to listen to our guest playlists as we chat about them on the show, head over to mygayplaylist.com. You're going to be able to find every episode's corresponding playlist in our playlist tab. Now we're just getting into it. We're going to talk about some music and some feelings and some really cool stories that go in between it all. Okay, let's talk about your playlist. Uh, I, I, I enjoy listening through the playlists because I, I assign my own meaning. Mm. I assign my own meaning and I present these observations and see if I'm accurate. I've been called a playlist detective by other guests. So I'm curious to see if, if this one hits the nail on, on the head with you. I was listening to these songs, so many different sounds, so many different genres on your playlist. It starts with some classic rock type of songs, cream sunshine of your love with a little help for my friends, the Beatles. And then it goes into a, some solid indie alternative emo, dare I say, kind of songs. Yes, you may dare. <laughs> the kooks naive. Love that song. Soul meets body death cat for cutie. We have Weezer on there. There's some Sufjan Stevens, some Margaret, Margaret Glaspy. Love her. Mm. And then there's also some plot twists, like some show tunes. I mean, we got Alan Cumming. I don't know what show this, but he's generally like a show tune kind of guy. We have some songs from Into the Woods. We even have some disco with Donna Summers. So all of these, we have Nina Simone down there. There's Ma Rainey. Big ups to Ma Rainey. I, listening to these, seeing the song titles, hearing the lyrics, feeling the feelings as I was going through it. I'm thinking, okay, there's clearly a lot of longing in certain parts of your story, like anyone's, right? And dare I say, I feel like there is 
maybe a particular longing for a meeting of like two disparate parts with either of like your life, these worlds that you live or lived in and uh, within yourself. Is that like minorly accurate? Wow. So interview over. This was so nice. I did not <laughs> read to absolute filth. No, jeepers. That's creepy. I feel like you could offer a therapy service that's just someone submitting a playlist and you're like, mm-hmm, okay, I see. I see what's happening. Is that an accurate assumption of the, of the playlist vibes? Am I a, did I accurately get the vibes? You did. And it's devastating that you saw that and I couldn't, but just I'm scrolling through it now and I'm like, oh, poor baby. Um, Cause it's a lot of songs. Like I revisited from high school or junior high or college and like had some embarrassment putting some of these things on. I'm like, the people deserve to know my listening journey. Um, but especially the stuff from high school, it's just like, I want to go back and hug that tiny queer baby. My God. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, let's talk about, let's talk about that. Uh, the fifth song on your playlist, mm-hmm. soul meets body death cap for cutie. Uh, yeah. You know, the thing about this song is I, Heard it a lot. I, I've heard it a lot. Never really mm-hmm. paid attention to the lyrics. It starts and he says, I want to live where my soul meets body and let the sun wrap its arms around me and bathe my skin in water, cool and cleansing and feel, feel what it's like to be new. Because in my head, there's a Greyhound station where I send my thoughts to far off destinations. So they may have a chance of finding a place where they, where they're far more suited than here. And when I was just reading that a little while ago, I thought, wow, I have a Greyhound station in my head. <laughs> <laughs> what a what an apt way to put it. Yeah. And I am so I'm curious on on your gay playlist, so to speak, whatever coming out means to you in this regard, because that's something we talk about on the show. It doesn't have to necessarily be mm-hmm. when you said, Hey, I'm queer, hey, I'm trans, or hey, I'm whatever coming out is to you. I guess you can let me know. What is this song speaking to? Yeah, it's wild to hear those lyrics like over a decade after falling in love with them and like with fresh eyes. I'm like, oh, this is so clearly about like being mentally ill and be, well, for me, because you know, what Ben Gibbard wrote is what Ben Gibbard wrote. But like for me, it was just like feeling so trapped and unable to be my authentic self in the world that I was in. Like, kind of that last generation where it wasn't super safe to be. I mean, it still depends on the area, but like the high school my mom teaches at is where I went and it was not super safe for me to be out as queer, definitely not as trans. Um, And just like having this desperate longing to be able to be my authentic self while being terrified of the prospect of it. Like I didn't have a lot of models for what that looks like. I didn't know what it meant to grow up and be gay or be trans in this world. Um, Totally. Did you know those things? I'm going to assume that you knew those things. I did. Yeah. You knew those things were true. And you also knew that you couldn't speak to them as, as you are now because of the social climate you were living in being a black queer person in Indiana, I'm sure is still not that much fun. No, I use the language of character building as positive reframe. That's a good silver lining right there. Yeah, but I I mean, it was, I paid tuition to go to a different public school that would be slightly safer for me as a black person. Wow. Okay. Um, So it's already like, it sucks enough to be the fly in the buttermilk, so to speak. Like, I really don't want to add other things to this. 
So I knew, I knew. And Death Cab for Cutie was actually a band that like, my first girlfriend had introduced me to. And like, she was really into photography and like all of her photo projects were based on Death Cab songs. Oh my God, I and love she that. And she was going to do a photo shoot of me um, based on the lyrics of this song, but then got scared that people would connect the dots that we were together. So it didn't happen. Mm. Which I'm like just now remembering. <laughs> the first line is, I want to live in a world I want to live where soul meets body. First line of the song. And then it's not until pretty much almost the end of the song. They sing where soul meets body three times. So there's that three times and just seeing it on the page. I'm like, what is that? Mm. I'm reading. I'm looking at it right now thinking, what does that mean? I think everyone has a, everyone in their life goes through something where that is an accurate articulation of their experience. At least I have where soul meets Mm -hmm. body, whatever that means to you. I mean, I, I, for instance, I grew up uh, very overweight, very unhealthy and didn't really know that my body could be something that I uh, celebrated. It could Mm. be strong enough and fit enough and move in a way that would bring me through the world with joy. It would, I, you know, I sort of was raised to think that it was something that hindered my joy because of Mm. how big it was. So I read that and my, I go to, I go to that place in my, in my head and my heart um, where soul meets body. Also, I think about when I was traveling and moving through space and I had so many soul shaking moments of affirmation, even if they were super painful on that, Mm. on that journey. I'm curious, what does that mean to you? What does that speak to in your own life and experience? Yeah. I mean, what you said resonated so much. Thank you for that. And like, I've been reading old journals, which is something that's very painful to do as someone I'm in recovery from addiction, hit three years sober a couple Congrats. months ago. And that's like, amazing. Thank you. Yeah. It's Congratulations. I, when I got my first month, I was like, this is as long as I'll ever go. And I just keep, keep collecting. But, um, it was around the time that I'd started drinking and smoking was when I was listening to this song a lot and like reading old journals, especially like when my use was really heavy is painful, but especially around this time, I was like really obsessed with this thought that I didn't have a soul, which mm. I find really interesting. And I also was like really deep in the church still. So like one of my teenage rebellions was to go to a really conservative kind of like wannabe mega church, evangelical pray the gay away type place. Um, my parents were like, okay, go off. Like, we love and support you. Wait, um, so you chose to do that? So I would like, because my, my first thought was, did are your parents very religious? Because what you've told me of them, they're like, they're a little chill. liberal, more on the liberal side. Like, oh, yeah. they get yeah. it. Not saying that evangelical people don't get it, though there are very strict boundaries of how one yeah. must get it, I believe. Yeah, no, my parents are like super chill. Shout out to Kevin and Carol. Love them to pieces. Like, they're great. Um, <laughs> I I love them, Boku. But yeah, like, and we've talked about it since they're like, yeah, that's, like, we wanted to support you in whatever you did, especially, like, in spiritual exploration. And, like, we were also pretty sure you were gay, so we're pretty confused as to why you were going to that place. <laughs> so I was, like, getting all of these messages of, like, I would go to hell if I did not change. And I think that was what was impacting my belief of, like, I just simply do not have a soul. 
and then just like further down the line of like where soul meets body this is also probably like when my body was changing again a lot thanks to puberty number one and just like you know childhood I got to kind of bounce around as this genderless being like my my parents let me wear whatever I wanted which is awesome I was super lucky in that regard um and then, like, once high school hit, it was like, what the fuck are these tits? Um, what What oh, is I, happening to my body? I have breasts. I have hips. I have all yeah. this fat forming in parts where it's, I don't want it to be. Yeah. Or... It's like, no, thank you. Like, where's the, what's the return policy on this, uh, <laughs> this here estrogen? Yeah. And so just, like, felt so disconnected from my body for years, which, like, like booze and drugs really helped augment. I just did whatever I could to make soul not be in my body. In AA, they talk about they talk about the God-shaped hole, right? Mm-hmm. That you're trying to fill inside of yourself. Like you use alcohol, you as in humans, alcohol, drugs, sugar, um, whatever your, you know, pick your poison might be. It's to fill a hole that only God can fill. It's a higher power. It doesn't need to be a man in the sky. But it reminds me of that, you know, like where your soul was not, you were maybe hoping for something else to. Yeah. To, f- to fill that up, which we learn at some point in our lives when we become aware that things don't work and we need to change that no such hole can be filled with substances or sex yeah. or whatever, sugar or whatever it might be. Totally. And I think for me, like what's filled that hole, because I've also just wrestled with the God thing so much. Um, like a lot of folks in recovery says God stands for group of drunks um, and just like, <laughs> finding community has helped so much because that was just I had two dear queer and or trans friends in high school and we were just like we are gonna fucking get through this together and we were all gonna get as far away from Indiana as we can but like it blows my mind to meet people who like talked about like the queer elders in their life or like the trans support group they went to as teens I'm like that is such a foreign concept to me Um, totally finding and building community was what was missing in that that gaping hole i suppose this whole time yeah before we move on to a new song i'm i'm curious to say and and you don't maybe if it's if it doesn't speak to you it's you know it's a point what we can circle back to or or not have you since felt or even had a moment fleeting or not where you feel like these two disparate parts that i mean you've spoken you just spoke of how you didn't feel like you had a soul clearly mm-hmm. you have a body and it's changed a lot. Yeah. Have they met? Even if it's just been for a moment of, wow, here I am. No, they definitely have. And it's like my resting space now. Like, it's so fascinating reading these old journals and also being part of that kind of like last generation of trans people that didn't have the language to describe my experience. And so now I go back and I'm like, what I'm seeing here is like, A, a lack of community or like mirrors or mentors and be like straight up gender dysphoria, just like raging. Um, yep. Yep. And like, I expected everything in my life to change radically and beautifully when I got top surgery. And that definitely happened. But I feel like the two finally met when I got sober and like, I'm able to actually enjoy all of the work I've put in to like build this life and build this body. And just like, I don't know. I like have moments of gender euphoria every day that feel like my soul needing my body. Just like even looking at myself in Zoom, I'm like, this is an outfit I'm sure I wore when I was three years old and was just like content and happy in the world. And it feels really nice to be like, to be the Laz that baby Laz wanted to be. Yes, totally. You know, 
I'm so happy that you said that because I had a, a similar moment this morning and I've been allowing myself to enjoy them when they occur, even if it's just a second inside of myself to be like, wow, here I am. I'm, I'm so grateful mm -hmm. that I've, I've found this space. All of that is to say, to take those moments to say, I really like seeing what I see. And yeah. this is totally something I probably wanted to wear as a five-year-old is affirming in yeah. a, some full circle way that, that brings me back to myself. And then again, mm and again and again and there's beauty in that and maybe it's grace i'm not sure mm, i love that a lot hey by the way if you're listening and you want to hear laz's gay playlist head over to mygayplaylist.com you're always going to be able to find every episode's corresponding playlist there all right now it's time to get back to it before i go to the next one specifically i'm curious if any of these songs on your playlist speak to the just in in what we were talking about you talked a lot about not having those mirrors elders communities those pillars that you could kind of rest upon while you were while you were coming up coming mm -hmm. out i should say to kind of know how to be and to guide you do any of the songs on this playlist speak to that that community that you've been able it seems like at this point in your life you have a, a that is a big part of your life is mm. having building those communities feeding them and helping them helping them rise the younger the younger generation so to speak yeah i love that question well, I very selfishly and selflessly put some songs from my own band on here, Eileen oh, and the yeah. Inbetweens. And we're, you know, we're a queer indie folk band. And I joined the band when I left classical music because I came out as trans, I came out as non-binary, and I'm like, what do I wear in an orchestra now? And that was a really devastating loss for me. Like, I've, I'd been a classical musician pretty much as soon as my hands were big enough to hold anything. And that's my family's legacy. Um, and you play the viola. That's your main instrument, right? Yes, I play the yes. viola. Which is like, the viola is the trans boy of the symphony. Uh, <laughs> hey, I played the tuba, so I feel like the tuba is the sort of dyke of the marching band. But, you know. Yeah, I could see that. The, like, affirming dyke aunt. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's the energy I'm getting. And <laughs> I got to and I got to wear a beret when I played it because the big Ooh. hats that everyone anyway, I digress. <laughs> I love that visual so much. Yes. But yeah, I Eileen and the band kind of swooped into my life at a tricksy time where like I had just come out as non-binary. I just made the decision to not continue playing in a symphony. And I was supposed to play for just a CD release party. And now I've been in the band for five years. I've just kind of <laughs> stuck around. They can't can't seem to get rid of me, but I, I earn my keep. I earn my keep. I love that. And so you still play with them. You guys have toured a bunch, correct? Have you done yeah. any touring that's been out of the Southwest? Like, have you done the whole stretch yeah. of the U.S. more or less? Yeah, we um we did an East Coast tour a few years ago, and that one was in collaboration with. Um, Danae No Nukes in the Nuclear Monitoring Project. So we were also linking up with like environmental groups, um, like indigenous justice groups up and down the East Coast, which was amazing. A Midwest tour, and then we did a big honkin' West Coast tour all the way up to Canada. That's amazing. Yeah, in the before times, in the before times. What was being on the road like for you? Were you sober then? Was it, was it, because I mean, it can be, 
it's a lot. Being on the it's road is lot. tough. Um, what what were those experiences like for you? I love being on the road so much. It's like what I loved about being in the symphony I was in. It's what brought me to the Southwest. Like it's just so magical waking up in a different city every day. Mm, I agree. And the West Coast tour we did. How many years ago? A couple years ago. Time's not even real anymore, so I have no idea. Um, It's 2023. I'm convinced. That's what I thought. (laughs) Um, Yeah, the West Coast tour we did was like my rock bottom, and I got sober a few months after that. Um, Mm. But I mean, you know, we were just playing in a lot of bars. It was also the year every state we went to, weed was legal. And then we went up to... um, we were like in Vancouver and I remember I bought like weed in a vending machine and I was like, I've arrived. Like, this is the promised land. Um, and I also quit my antidepressants that tour. I was like, I'm living the fucking life. Like what more could I need? I don't need these things. So I, it's logical. That's yeah. Logical. Right. So I, I quit taking an antidepressant and got shit faced every night and just poured a depressant on my body. Um, but was like very sneaky and good at hiding it like my band was kind of surprised when I like came out as an alcoholic and got sober and then like started connecting the dots like oh yeah I guess you always were like outpacing us sneakily and like oh yeah that's where that whiskey went and just like Mm. I don't want to yeah I was very strategic but it was it was like the perfect lifestyle for a drunk like I could embarrass the crap out of myself one night and then the next day I'm 200 miles away Totally. I'll never see those people again. Um, yeah. There's a weird freedom that comes with touring. Um, mm-hmm. And I've only really done it solo. Uh, so I can only imagine how much more freedom you kind of have if you're with a group of people that you trust and love, because yeah. you can get, you can, you can be a little more loose with your um, inhibitions <sighs> and, you oh, know, Lord. the risks that you might take even socially I'm speaking to. Because yeah. there's maybe a handful of other people that'll back you up or bring you home or you yeah. don't have to drive, you know, th- those sort of things. Exactly. My cleanup crew. Um, <laughs> Unfortunately. If any, <laughs> all, if any in-betweens are listening to this, I love you and I'm sorry. But yeah, like we, we, did, a t- we did a show at this tiny, like former ranch town turned weed capital called Sheep Ranch. And we played at this like saloon that had been open since the gold rush like it was just classic just like and the whole town came out like it was super fun and like disintegrated into this jam session and like we passed around the hat for tips and it came back just filled with loose buds oh my god these are my people and so i just got obliterated that night and was like ready to go home back to the catholic worker house we were staying at it's like leaning against her van i'm like come on let's go like we got everything and eileen's like i'm gonna do one more pass of the venue i'm like whatever let's go it's fine and she comes back out and she's holding my viola case over her head i was like oh i uh i would need that yeah that's a i'm sad to say i have had a similar experience i was in another country and i was by myself so thank goodness for your uh for your bandmate yeah Yeah. quickly i was maybe about 25 paces out of the bar before i realized i didn't have my guitar but yeah for sure (sighs) been there yeah been there it is uh, it's like a heart drop moment it's like oh my god i left my baby like <laughs> so let's let's i before we move on to different songs curious though did you just with eileen and the in-betweens i love the music i love how soft and delicate the the sound of her voices mm-hmm. um but not like flimsy like it's strong mm. like there's a there's a strength to it and a power 
did you offer anything other than just the string parts uh, to the writing process? Um, I sing on a lot of the tracks and I do love Eileen's our primary songwriter for sure. And it'll come with like a guitar part or a bass part and sometimes even like a drum pattern. Drums are her first instrument, um, which I think you can hear a lot in her guitar playing. For um, sure. Yeah, definitely. But then we'll kind of just like flesh it out as a group, which is just like a beautiful collaborative process. And that's, you know, something I didn't get in classical music. Like I didn't give you like, you know what I think Brahms wanted right here? Like, um, <laughs> it's nice to be kind of a part of this living organism. But yeah, she, and I, I love the way you described her voice. I feel like that describes her a lot as a person too. Like she's one of the sweetest, gentlest people I know, but she is very strong and sturdy in her beliefs and very take no shit and stands up for her community right while on. like moving with such grace the entire time. That's awesome. Hell yeah. So you just mentioned Brahms. Um, yes. Let's talk about <laughs> Violin Sonata Number no. 3 in D minor. Uh, uh, this mm. this is a beautiful piece. And I know in a previous conversation that we've had, you spoke a lot about Johannes Brahms and yeah. their impact on you. Why is this why is this particular sonata in there? And and let's 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 open the lid and unpack Brahms on yeah, your gay let's playlist. Get sad. Let's do let's it. Get sad. Yeah, Johannes Brahms, Jojo, as I call him affectionately. Um <laughs> just such an incredible powerhouse of a musician of the Romantic era. Just also this longing piece that you so rudely and aptly called me in on. Um <laughs> was like deeply in love with Robert Schumann's wife, Clara Schumann for like his entire life. Brahms was. Um, yeah. And like would have been a much better partner. And like, I, <laughs> I stand these two long dead classical musicians. I love this. I'm here for it all. Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The fan fiction I could write, but yeah. So you can just hear this deep longing in so many of his pieces. And this was, you know, I'll come out of the closet. I started out as a violinist. My, mother was one of my orchestra teachers and we just straight up ran out of violists so she was like okay so you're learning viola and i was like whatever carol and i loved it it was like one of the best things that ever happened to me good call carol dude that's what happened to me with tuba we didn't have a tuba player in our band right? and my band director's like honestly you're not that great at the trumpet you've been trying real hard <laughs> but we really need a tuba player and i think you'd be great and then you know what i was a pretty badass tuba player right that's that's what happened to me with like i was a Pretty okay violinist, which made a really good violist. Um, yeah, I love it. Yeah, and so that was, I think that was the last piece I ever played on violin before I switched to viola, like, full-time. And it's when I, I think me and my girlfriend, my first girlfriend had just broken up. And the whole thing was, like, very in secret. Um, what age, around what age was this? Was this, like, early teens? Oh, this was... 15 okay yeah just just all the hormones all the hormones just yeah so i'd be sitting in my like ancient oldsmobile blasting brahms sonata swaddled in my letterman's jacket and weeping just (laughs) in the middle of a cornfield somewhere that was i think we would have been really good pals in high school right i think i think we would have i needed some friends like you dude man i was yeah i mean like and it was it's funny because it's this is like the same time as my death cab year so i was like deeply emo and i was like no one was more emo than brahms like he started the game he invented it we're all just practicing and he was <laughs> he was at the emo super bowl and the piece opens it's mm, you're in third position 
on the D string playing an A and you're just holding it out and it's this warble and the piano comes in and I'm super lucky and I owe my mother so much back pay, but my mom's an incredible pianist. Um, so I loved doing sonatas cause we got to do them together and just like, you know, you come in so tender and then the piano kind of comes in clamoring after you and it's this beautiful conversation back and forth. And I just, yeah, like I wasn't out to my mom and she was very aware that I was hurting a lot. Um, and I think she was maybe the one that chose that sonata. I do not think I would be alive if I hadn't been so active in music in high school, in junior high, in college, well, my entire fucking life. But um, just like all of those things I could not articulate, I could play. Yeah. And even though it was a piece written by a white dude who died 200 years before I was born, like homeboy knew what I was going through. Like he's like, oh, unrequited love. Oh, big feelings. Like, I got you, fam. Say no more. Here's a sonata. Well, that's the most, I think uh, what I've learned, it, it, music is so special in that way yeah. because it, it connects, it connects people from, it can connect people from all over the world. Yeah. Um, but it also can connect, it can place you in a feeling state and justify it. Mm-hmm. when you're pretty certain that you're the only person that's ever felt that ever. And yeah, something with this, this sonic experience of songs like that, that you're talking about. Yeah. It's a violin sonata number three in D minor. And it was written 200 years ago and it was able to show up for you in that big way to let you know, yeah. like, yeah, you're, you're okay. You're okay. And the ritual of that is very mm-hmm. special to me. Music is, it's the savior. It's, it's the connective, um, guidance. Maybe it also is that pillar that you were talking about, you know, the, the community, the elder, maybe Brahms was your gay elder. Listen, I have my suspicions. There are so many (laughs) (laughs) frustrating thing of like mainstream history as someone that teaches history, but people, you know, being like Emily Dickinson's really close gal pal. And it's like, what? And just, it's so hard to know which of these figures were queer from history, but like he knew suffering. And like, although our suffering was very different, it helped me articulate and understand my own. It's like, Lord knows I was not in therapy. Like I was not talking about my feelings with other people. I was like doing drugs and shoving things down. Um, And then like viola and violin were kind of my only release valve. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that so much. I uh, will be listening to this sonata many, many times afterwards. It's, oh gosh, it still will just make me weep. Like, and that's the thing I love about music, like the automatic amplification of any emotion. Like sometimes if I'm sad, like let's fucking press this bruise, like let's put on some Brahms. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting. If I could get a little sound nerd here with you, the violin is so certain, you know, certain frequencies correspond if you're going to get into the energy space uh, mm-hmm. to different energy centers. And it's said that stringed instruments correspond to the heart chakra. The heart mm-hmm. chakra vibrates at 436 hertz per second. Mm-hmm. And the violin or stringed instruments. Uh, though most are tuned to 440 hertz per second. Okay, I'm getting really yeah. nerdy here. Essentially, it is the uh, one of the instruments of the heart. So yeah. it's interesting to me too, if we're going to, maybe we can make that connection there that though you didn't feel like you had a soul and you were shoving all the things down, you were playing an instrument that was speaking directly to your heart. 
Wow. Yeah. yeah. Gosh, I mean, and that reminds me, I'd forgotten about, actually, this longboard that's behind me. I won it with money, or I bought it with money that I won in a music contest, and I I remember getting the judges sheet, and I'd, like, walked in the room, and I had, like, a, it's interesting seeing, like, pictures from me in high school and stuff, because I had a very flat affect, and I'm a very, like, bubbly person now, but a very flat affect. Didn't want to be there, just, like, showed up, played a song, and left. Um, and what she'd written is like, I was expecting nothing from this person. Like they very much did not want to be there. And then the second they started playing, it was a completely different person who had experienced things that like I could only imagine. And I was like, oh no, you saw too much. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like even though I couldn't express myself verbally, emotionally, or even like physically, I could still do it musically. And like what people got was just like, damn, are you okay? <laughs> And I was not, so good call. I'm waiting for you to just say one word. I heard just one can unfurl white words. I'm ready, I know I've got what it takes I'm afraid you don't learn to flirt When you grow up this All right, we are back. This is My Gay Playlist. I am here with Laz Letcher, and we're chatting about music and feelings and coming out. And it's been, it's, we've gotten pretty deep pretty quickly. Yeah, quite rude, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> you just heard an original by Laz, Best Kind of Worse. And right before the break, we were talking about, we were just talking about sort of how music it lifts the veil a bit and, and exposes mm. parts of you that maybe you can't speak to in your normal social life. I can relate. I feel like most of my songs are sad and um, heartfelt or express. They definitely, I don't know what you want to call them. They express it a very deep inner part of me that mm -hmm. um, might not come across upon first meet because I maybe seem kind of goofy and silly a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, and loud and boisterous. I don't think that any of my music is goofy or silly or loud or boisterous. Yeah. So it's it's interesting to hear. It was awesome and interesting and affirming to hear you say that because I can relate. Um, but this song, Best Kind of Worst, which is kind of midway or third of the way through on your playlist, where where was this coming from in you? When did you write it? And um, and and what is it? What is it speaking to? It's two or three years old now. Um, and it's kind of speaking to just, I mean, we're talking about all of my high school loves and heartbreaks, but how being a queer adult sometimes still feels very much like being a teenager. And I feel like sometimes crushes still have that like all or nothing world creating or destroying energy. Mm. So the best kind of worst that I'm referring to is like 
that glimmer of hope with a crush where you're like, I am so alive. Colors are so much brighter. And like, oh my God, this is awful. If this person talks to me, I might throw up on myself. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> I feel like it's a very uniquely queer experience of just like not quite knowing how to handle a crush. And my dear, dear partner. Yeah, actually, no. So this is three years old because I wrote it before I started dating my current partner who we had mutual crushes on each other for years I love that. I, I love like, these stories. Oh God. It's classic gay, but like I would not flirt with them. I would flirt at them. So like we'd always run into each other at like art events or queer events, tale as old as time. And I would not talk to them. <laughs> I would oh, just like okay, right. stand across the room and try to emit a vibe. Oh um, yeah. I've been there. Totally. Oh God. It's, it's a miracle that we ended up together. Um, we finally talked when they came to like one of my shows and I was like, I am a human with words. Hello. Um, it's nice to finally use them with you after all this yes. time. Yes. Oh my gosh. I was like, well, I guess if you've seen me play, I can talk to you. Cause like you basically just saw me naked. But yeah, so this was just, I was like crushing hard on like a lot of very close friends at the time. And like, there's some glimmers that something might happen. And I was like, this is amazing. This is awful. This is amazing. Um, and I just kind of hope I never lose that energy. And I noticed it really came back, especially when I started hormones, like the first crush I had add on tea I was like I feel like I am 13 fucking years old again and this is like all or nothing like doodle your name in my notebook um I think it was like the return of pubescent energy but also being able to love and crush on someone as fully myself feels just Mm. like so brand new and delicious and like terrifying yeah can we can we like kind of just get into that a little more because I've always Mm. said that and I think that for you know anyone that's listening to this show that hasn't necessarily come out yet uh whatever that means but specifically mm-hmm. if you're queer and you haven't come out yet and maybe you're younger you're a teenager or you're coming into your young adult years i think you keep uh, we keep ourselves when we are not out for whatever reason someone doesn't come out from those, uh, from those experiences. So I know I did like when I came out when I was 19, it was in a sense, I felt like I was a high schooler at like a 13 again, because I never really dated because I didn't want to date boys. So I just didn't do it. Uh, and then, you know, once I came out, I, it wasn't, I was in college for a lot of people. You've already had your first Mm -hmm. crush, your first kiss. Um, you've had some boyfriends or girlfriends or whatever. I never had that. And I definitely felt like there yes. is a, there is a bit of an emotional regression that occurs because you're kind yes, of starting that's... again, right? Yeah, no, that's exactly what the song's about. It's about like when you have your first big queer loves, you're often like in your 20s or your 30s and you're like, oh, y'all were doing this at like 15, 16. Um, and, right. you know, like I had that first girlfriend and it was just like a very like Romeo Juliet situation. Like they lived out in the boonies by me. Um in like a pretty conservative family. It was like, meet me in the cornfield halfway between us. Like, you know, that was our balcony scene. Amazing. Um, But like being able to do it like out and proud and like, you know, I think I had my first queer date like in the open and I was 20, 21. Um, Yeah, same here. It's, you know, it's interesting. You were just saying that I thought of um, my first serious girlfriend in college. First, like, Oh my, like all encompassing love sort of relationship. 
And we had been, we met in the dorms, you know, and <laughs> it wasn't until like a month and a half after we started dating, quote unquote, that um, I took her out for breakfast one morning and I was nervous, like, like a, a kid that was, you know, taking a, like a girl to the movies with their, like when they're 12 and their mom chaperoning them, you know what yeah. I mean? Like that's how it felt. And I, I haven't thought about that, that feeling of, um, even I remember sitting at a table with her and we were in Santa Fe, very liberal kind of place. Yeah. You could be out. It's okay. Um, and, and wanting to touch her hand at the table and feeling so hesitant about it. And now thinking oh. back, just having this conversation, that was the first time I had ever done that in my life, not just like mm. in my gay life, in my, in my whole life. So um, yeah. How, how interesting that is that we, we go through that um, sort of late. Oh, live. Oh, my <laughs> gay heart. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, I've talked to a lot of friends about this and I call it, like, I feel like I have a touch deficit in my life because like, mm. I don't know. I mean, when I was in junior high and high school, like I remember it was super normal for like girls to cuddle when we're watching movies and I'll be like, that's so gay. I'm over here as the straightest <laughs> one here proving my very straight point. Um, and I just like, I... I want to shout at you. I love that so much. Because right? Like, oh my God. Yeah. Baby Laz, you were fooling no one. Just like wearing like a full basketball jersey. <laughs> but like, yeah, starving myself intentionally of touch, thinking that would help me prevent whatever queer and trans unveiling was inevitable. Mm -hmm. And now I'm just like, everybody spoon me. God damn it. Right now. Um, oh, you're sitting next to me. I'm gonna put my leg and hands around you so we yeah. can be as close as possible. Yes, yeah. welcome yes. to the gay community. Yes, <laughs> I am a leaf. I want to end with let's end on a show tune. Yeah, I was thinking agony. Agony. Let's end with Agony. Agony is from Into the Woods, which is like a very campy, funny musical. Um, I've seen this more times than I've wanted to in my life. Perfect. For reasons out of my control. Not that like I'm, <laughs> I just, I had to sit through it like five times in middle school, like in one week. Oh, this good. Yeah. So I was, I played in the paid orchestra of it. So I've probably, yes. I don't know how many times I've sat through this full musical. And so it was my first time playing non-classical music and I just got like such a rush. I'm like, oh my gosh, what key are we in? And like, oh my God, there's sound effects. Um, and it's just like also a great like preamble to me ending up being a gay boy. You know, I was just like finding myself in musical theater. And I had such a debilitating crush on this girl on my track team. Just like so obsessed with her. Like she was just so great. And she was such a sweetheart. Um, completely oblivious to me just like following her around like a sick puppy um and so i'm smiling because i again can really you know you know hard to that yeah yeah oh that was like freshman year high school crushes godspeed to and you just played it off like you just wanted to be really good friends but inside yeah, you like, were we're like, like burning yeah. just to like just to like touch her shoulder or yeah her hair. Oh my gosh. So I'm we both gonna start sounding creepy and it's not what I intended. <laughs> it's not creepy, it's just baby dyke stuff. Exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah.
you know, we were high jumpers together. So it was always just like, oh my gosh, can you help me with my uniform? And I'm like, yes. Um, <laughs> so just like so head over heels for her. And this was also, of course, at the same time as the spring musical. And just like this song, Agony, it's two princes talking about how painful it is to not be able to be with the one they love. And I'm like, I feel you. And just like was I identified with the strong so much, I would listen to it nonstop. I would cry as we played it in the pit and then walked away from the musical for years and came back to it as an adult. And I'm like, this is one of the most comedic songs of the musical. It really is. But I was like so deeply, deeply in this like baby queer crush that I couldn't see the humor in it at all. I was just like, they get it. This is this is pure emo. Johannes Brahms. Death Cab for Cutie, and then Agony from <laughs> Into the Woods. It was I like, love oh, it. baby. Oh, sweet, sweet baby lass. Well, if, if I may, and I'm going to, here's me bringing a full circle playlist detective again. There is, in the second verse here, Agony, beyond power of speech, when the one thing you want is the only thing out of your reach. Yep. I, yep. Is that pretty, like, substantially <sighs> accurate for what we've spoken about today and our theme vibe here. They definitely fit. It fits the longing vibe. And I think even to like at the time, you know, like Rapunzel is like sitting in her tower and like the just out of reach is like physically quite literally just out of reach. And I don't know if part of it too was the fact that like I'm in the pit and I couldn't see what was happening on stage. Right. 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 <laughs> so I had to take everything like very literally. And I remember like opening night hearing people laughing during the song. And I'm like, how dare you like <laughs> this, this is a serious moment. moment that's speaking to my broken heart okay yeah Ugh, agony beyond power of speech when the one thing you want is the only thing out of your reach and just 14 year old Laz was just like amen brothers yes <laughs> yeah i just and it makes my heart so happy to now work with like queer and trans teens whose lives are so wildly different. Like they won't have that agony pit moment because they can just like hit up the girl. Um, yep. Or even like, especially the trans kids, like, you know, I have trans youth who are able to get on hormone blockers who will just like never need top surgery or like for trans girls, their voice will never drop. So like they'll be sopranos forever. Um, wow. And it's just like, wow, I am like the last generation to like have this agony pit moment. And like, that's a really great thing. Like, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little salty about it sometimes. Like, you kids don't know what I went through. Oh, but, like, what sure. a beautiful thing. Like, may no 14-year-old little queer baby <laughs> sit through a comedic musical taking every word extremely literally because they are so heartsick. Yeah. So on on that note, I think that leaves us perfect for for the end of this of this conversation. If if you could tell your your baby queer self um, or any baby queers out there in the world listening to this, one thing that you wish you knew then that you know now or the hindsight, the wisdom that comes from your experience of living the thing, uh, what would it be? Yeah. I wanted to say it gets better and that's not a guarantee. And that definitely has not been my case because things are not linear. I wish they were, but I will say you are not alone in so much of these songs about longing, about 
fear about feeling unseen were because I did not have a community. But you are not alone. There is the internet. There is getting out of whatever tiny town you're living in. You're not alone. Stick with it. Stay with us. Thank you so much, Laz. Yeah, thank you. I had such a fun time chatting with Lazarus. Thank you so much again for being on our show. If you're listening and you want to check out more of what Laz does and what they're up to, you can go to www.lazarusletcher.com to check up on all of their music and academic happenings. They are taking bookings for Zoom lectures on LGBTQIA plus and black liberation topics. And you can follow them on Instagram at l.nuzzles. And for this week's tune that we're playing you out with after the credits, we have Out of My Mind, a new release from Cat and the Hurricane based out of Madison, Wisconsin. This show was created by yours truly, Liv Lombardi, that's me, and Courtney Ortel, and co-produced by Virago Artist Management with additional support from Hannah Varnum. Music by yours truly once again, Liv Lombardi. As always, thank you for your ears and your hearts. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe to our podcast, write a review, and share with your friends. Until then, be kind to yourself and gentle. I hope you have a good week, and we'll see you next time. And even though I try, I can't imagine why anyone want to stay. It's a matter